everyone and welcome to the second episode in our editing series. In our first episode, we spoke to Karen Spiller of ELT Publishing Professionals and ELT Teacher to Writer and Karen White from ELT Teacher to Writer. If you haven't already listened, you can check that episode out on all good podcast channels. Today, I'm excited to be speaking to Noel Smaragdakis, who I've recently been working closely with on the British Council's new English score employability exam. Hi, Noel. How are you? Um, Hi, I'm good. And you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to come on and chat about assessment editing. So maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do and your ELT background as well. Um, So, yeah, I uh, studied communications at university and then I started working as an English teacher in 2014. And then I started editing in 2016. So I've been an editor for the past six years and I've worked in different departments, not just ELT, but also academic publishing. Um, Kind of, you know, like uh, when you go to university and you have to read a lot of articles and Mm -hmm. cite them and all that. So those go through me before you get to read them. Perfect. And what sort of projects have you worked on other than that? Like, how did you first get into ELT when you did? Um, I think like the majority of uh, English teachers, it was not something that I thought I would ever do. Um, so I, 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 as I said, I studied communications, but then I went and did a master's in criminology, just <laughs> kind of random. Um, but I couldn't get anything in that sector. And I thought, you know, what can I do with my communications degree? So I, a friend of mine who was an English teacher recommended um, the degree that we're doing in London. So when I did that and I got a job straight away afterwards. No. Um, so I was working in a small school at first and then I started working for Kaplan, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of international um, ELT company. And I went into item writing and editing through them because they have like their own department that like they, they use their own materials in the classroom and they had a department to produce those materials. Mm-hmm. They were looking for people to write them. So there was a job posting internally, and that's how I started, really. Because it's hard, isn't it, I think, to go from teaching to editing. I mean, the the transition from teaching to writing maybe seems a bit easier because teachers tend to create their own materials anyway. Yeah. Um, But so when you first started editing, was it other teachers' work? or? So I started with writing Mm -hmm. in Kaplan. That was the first step, and it was actually just a a single project. So they just wanted me to write a full IELTS exam. Mm. Um, and once I produced that, they were happy with the quality. So there were more projects coming up. Um, and then we started writing TOEIC exams. Um, and then I think it was about after a year that they mm-hmm. decided they wanted to look at the materials they already had. And they asked me if I'd be interested in editing them. Okay. So that's how I got into it. Mm-hmm. And so how did you know sort of the process of what you were supposed to do? Was it looking for the simple things first of all like punctuation spelling typos things like that and then thinking about sort of context in the bigger picture a bit later or did you just sort of learn as you went along um so when i first started with uh, kaplan the first the the main thing that they wanted me to look at was is the material accurate because you know editing involves a lot of things so what you're describing with punctuation and all of that is actually called proofreading Mm -hmm. So proofreading is just looking at the basic stuff, like is it is this sentence grammatically correct? Um, does it make sense? Are there any typos, things like that? And then editing is one level beyond that. Okay. And even within editing, you can have different levels. So you can have um, 
very basic editing where you're just restructuring some sentences or mm-hmm. you're just fixing some mistakes in to, to, to make sure that the sentence makes sense. And then you can go into more in-depth editing where you're basically rewriting the thing. Um, so when I started, the ed- they, they wanted me to approach editing from two perspectives. One was proofreading, so just mm-hmm. making sure there are no typos, no double spaces, things like that. And the second one was to check the materials and see if they're still accurate because they were the materials I was editing were teaching materials for IELTS. Mm-hmm. So they just wanted to make sure because, you know, IELTS changes all the time. There's new types of questions. There might be new instructions. So they just wanted to make sure that what they had was still accurate for the exam at that time. Okay. And apart from the academia, have you have you sort of stuck with editing items and assessments since then? It was kind of on and off, as is the sector in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would get projects from them. Um, then I wouldn't hear from them for like six months and then they would contact me again and say we have a new project coming up Um, and I tried looking for some other projects I found some through LinkedIn but there were some projects here and there Uh, but it was mostly supplemental so I would I would teach full-time and then I would just have those projects to um, get some extra money I guess nice and obviously you do that full-time now is that right yeah so it was a kind of it was a kind of odd transition. So I, I worked with Kaplan for a couple of years. Um, then I had other projects in between. I was doing other jobs. And then back in 2018, I found a full-time job as an editor, but in academia. And at the same time, I kept on with the other side projects in ELT. Mm-hmm. And then um, last year, I started working for English Core, which okay. is a British mm-hmm. Council exam. Perfect. And that's how we know each other. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we're talking about editing assessments. So um, if an experienced editor, because there's lots of different things within ELT, it might be secondary editing, adult editing, primary editing, it's all quite different. So if someone is already an experienced editor, but perhaps they haven't worked with assessments or items before, where would you recommend they start and how would they, they get into that? I don't really know how to answer that question because I came came into it from a different like I get, I came into it the other way around. So I started with item writing and then I went into editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ELT sector is kind of like a very closed sector. Yeah. So I don't know how easy it is to kind of break into it if you have no experience with ELT. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you say that editing items specifically is very different from editing general material? Not really. Okay, so if there's the the main difference would be with between ELT editing and other types of editing. Okay. But then again, there would be similar. So, for example, I'm going to talk about academia because I have experience there to 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 explain the difference. So, within academia, you would get let's say an essay from a student or an, a scientific article from an, an academic from Italy or South Korea or Japan or whatever. So uh, when you do that, what you have to make sure is that it's up to academic standard, the, the English is up to academic standards. So you might have to correct grammatical mistakes, but you might also have to elevate the language in a way. Um, and again, it depends on the type of service that you're offering. It could be very basic correcting mistakes or much more in-depth where you're kind of rewriting sentences, as I mentioned before. Uh, But your goal there 
is to bring it to a level of kind of, and I hate that phrase, but I'm going to say native level English. Mm-hmm. The kind of English that you would see published in a journal and you would say, yeah, it, it looks like it was written by someone who is fluent, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas in ELT writing, if you're writing a course book for a specific level, you have to make sure that you stick to that level. So it's you have experience as an item writer. It's kind of the same uh, concept of I, I need to write within that level and I can get away with it a little if I go beyond like uh, let's say you're writing something on B2, you can have some C1 grammar or vocabulary in there, but you you cannot overdo it. And when you're editing those items, you have to look out for these as well. Okay, so ELT, you'd say, in a nutshell, is more level-specific because in academic writing, you have to bring it out to a proficient level, whereas ELT, you've got your different graded CFR levels. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it depends on what you're editing. So if you're editing assessments, assessments are usually targeted at specific levels. There are some exams that are more generic, like IELTS doesn't really target a specific level. Um, But even within IELTS, you will have certain standards that you need to adhere to. But with assessments where you're targeting specific levels, you have to make sure that it's not just correct grammatically and it makes sense, but it's also accessible to that level. Mm -hmm. And what do you prefer? academic editing or ELC editing? Um, I don't really have a preference. Um, I find ELT editing easier. And the reason is because the people who write the ELT materials are already fluent. So if you're an item writer for an assessment, chances are you're either a native speaker or you speak at the same level as a native speaker. Um, Whereas with academic editing, you can get... um, materials from anyone in the world and their level could be quite low so you would have a lot more work to do there you will be paid for that work but Mm -hmm. it's kind of more tiring um and time consuming could it be like research papers proposals case studies things like that all of that Mm -hmm. um i've worked with other things as well i've like i've edited marketing materials um banners flyers Mm -hmm. pretty much everything interesting Okay, so when uh, specifically thinking about ELT rather than academic uh, editing, what are you looking for when you edit items? Um, So that greatly depends on the point at which I arrive Um, because different companies will use different processes to develop their items. So it could be that you arrive at the end and you're just doing their final proofreading or it could be that you are... Um, editing, but at the same time, kind of reviewing the work of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so different companies I work for have followed different processes. But usually in every single ELT company, you will have certain guidelines that you need to follow. Um, and those can be guidelines regarding how the item needs to look. Um, so from the simplest thing like using an Oxford comma or not, every single company will have a kind of rule rule book that tells you what you need to do there um to more complicate this stuff like okay this is the this is your resource for how to determine whether the vocabulary for a certain level is appropriate or not mm. um so for example in english go we use uh, uh english vocabulary profile the cambridge tool to determine if a word is appropriate or not so you might need to run text through specific platforms to check the vocabulary and then you need to do a little bit more granular work looking at sim- things like commas, full stops, um, 
any any kind of grammatical issues and stylistic issues, uh, structural, all of that. But yeah, each editor will follow their own process. I tend to look at the um, larger scale stuff first because there's no point in uh, proofreading something that's going to be discarded or that's going to have to be rewritten. So the first thing I do is look at the, the, the general picture of the item. Is this appropriate for, for this exam? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, before I go into the details of the text, like maybe the text is not appropriate, before I go into that, I look at the structure. Because if the structure is wrong, it will have to go back to the item writer to be fixed. And then there's no point in wasting your time actually editing the item. What do you mean by structure? Do you mean... Um, for, for example, um, in IELTS, let's say they send you a reading text, but the word count is too long. And then the questions that they've written, uh, they, they've used the same question type as the previous text, and that's not allowed. So that's pretty big things that they need to fix. Mm-hmm. Before I get into it, I've already identified the problem, so I shouldn't be wasting my time looking at the other things. True, yeah. So that would go back and immediately you would say, reduce the word count, change the, the question types. Mm-hmm. If all of that is fine then I would go into the text and look at, okay, is this text appropriate for the level? Is it appropriate for the test? Because there might be specific topics that are not appropriate. With um, assessment, you have to look at things like, is this um, question being asked actually being answered by the text? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the most important thing, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of the most important things, and you will not believe how many times it makes sense in the item writer's head but when a, a second person looks at it, they're like, I have no idea where to find the answer. Yeah. So those are the next things that I would look at. And once we're happy with how it looks, the next step would be to bring it up to the standards of the company in terms of Oxford commas and full stops and um, using ampersand symbols or not, um, capitalizing after columns. It's all those little rules that different companies will follow. So with that, information would that be in the item writer guidelines do you think or do you think that would be in a style guide and would that be provided to the the writer or the editor um they should be most companies it's not necessary that they would have their own style guide and in case you're not familiar with what a style guide is it's basically a document explaining all those rules that you need to follow when you produce anything in it it's not necessarily just for assessments it's most companies will follow a, a certain style for marketing materials, for emails, for everything. Um, so it should be sitting somewhere. It's not necessarily that they will have their own because there are certain established style guides that, they, that a lot of companies just use. So they decide, you know what, I'm going to use the Harvard style or the ABA. Um, the Chicago one is really popular as well. So those ones, do, they usually... They will either find them online or purchase a, a subscription to the website of the, the company that produces the style guide. Um, or otherwise, they will produce their own and distribute it internally. And you just have to refer to it all the time because these are really long and heavy reads. Definitely, yeah. I guess you just have to search through the document, wouldn't you, to find what you're looking for, essentially, rather than looking through and trawling through pages and pages of yeah. And how have these things been updated in terms of like diversity and inclusion, representation, things like that? Did the publishers tend to update 
or or the uh, style guards that you're just referring to, the Harvard and the Chicago ones, do they get updated? Or they do get updated, but the thing is that um, those style guys um, do not usually address those things because they look at the structural stuff. Um, so if you go and look into the Chicago style guide, it will just tell you, oh, do you need to use a capital after a colon or not? It's not going to tell you uh, be... <laughs> like so, pronouns and things like that, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not going to tell you um, be more diverse. Um, but companies themselves will kind of take on that responsibility to tell you, okay, if you're writing assessments, for example, um, make sure you don't always call the boss a man and don't use um, he, she, but use they, depending on the level. Um, so we, we do have very long guides for those sort of things. And it's, it's not even just diversity in terms of gender or, or race or, or, or religion or things like that, but it's also cultural diversity. You have to think of things that you would never consider when you're writing an item. Yeah. Simple things like summer is not the same everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about the, the month of August, it's not going to be summer for everyone. So you cannot assume that it is. Or if you're talking about the first floor of a building, it's not going to mean the same everywhere in the world. Because in some countries, the first floor is the one above the ground floor, whereas mm-hmm. in others, the first floor is the ground floor. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep all of those things in mind and you need to have some guidelines to make sure that you avoid creating confusion definitely and that's one thing i'm going to say about you as an editor in my experience i know that you look at things from those points of view because when i've written items and you've edited them and things like that and we've discussed them you you always bring up things i would never think about i think there was an item once i don't think i wrote it but i think it was about central heating or something and i think you pointed out well that might not be something that that people have in in different countries you know because it might be hot all the time or whatever it is and yeah it's just thinking from a different perspective and I think you're you're incredible at doing that so. thank you the one I, I always point out is the the time of dinner mm-hmm. and the morning afternoon and evenings I think we've discussed before yeah well. exactly that is not it doesn't mean the same everywhere in the world the like because um, I'm half Greek and in Greece we don't even have a noon per se like noon is just 12 o'clock and then yeah, like dinner times as well, you know, like in Spain, dinner time might be 10 o'clock at night. Or, Whereas and in the UK might be 6 or 7 p.m. Exactly. And then when you say afternoon in the UK, you mean 3 p.m. But mm-hmm. um, in Greece, where I'm from, the after, afternoon will be around 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. So what would the time between midday and 5 p.m. be called? Um, noon. Not- it's noon. Noon. Okay. Yeah, so because the word for noon is middle of the day. Okay. So that's literally the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to think. You have to think from that perspective as a writer and an editor, don't you? And, and everyone will have blind spots, depending mm. on your exposure. Of course. And when you give feedback, um, because obviously I, I don't edit, I'm only a writer. So from my experience, like I, I've, re- I've received really constructive feedback, maybe not so constructive feedback sort of quite open to interpretation I think everyone's quite different in the way that they give feedback as an editor um so how do you make sure that the feedback you're giving to someone is constructive and implementable as well um so again that really depends on the approach of a certain company and there are there are companies that want you to be very very detailed 
And then there are companies that want you to just give uh, very uh, concise feedback when you're editing something. So in in EOT specifically, because you're usually dealing with people who are fluent, you can be a bit more elaborate and um, kind of leave open-ended feedback because there might be a discussion later on. Um, the important thing is just don't be negative. One approach that I use a lot, which is very common in not just editing, but in I think in like managerial roles, is the sandwich style, where you get you say something positive, something negative, something positive. So you kind of sandwich the negative in between the positives, because you you know like the the person reading it starts reading the positives, and they're in a good mood. Then you throw in the negative but then they end on a positive note again. So they're happy to take on the negative hidden in between. I like that. I've not heard that before. It's a very, Maybe that's been done to me before and I've never noticed. Look out for it. It's, it's a very common managerial style, the yeah. sandwich style, positive, negative, positive. And is that the approach you tend to take if you can? If I can, yeah, usually you can. There will be positives that you can mention. Um, and there will be cases where there's just too much negative. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest without being cruel. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, ways of doing things, aren't there, really? What you have to remember is that you are talking to people who have feelings and they might be really proud of what they produced and you're mm-hmm. coming in and kind of pooping all over it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You have to do it in style. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. I, I would find it hard, I think. Um, not because I'd be too direct, but the opposite, I'd be a bit too fluffy, I think, in my feedback and maybe not get to the point because I'm generally quite a people pleaser. Um, but I, I don't know. It's quite hard to find that middle ground, isn't it, on getting the work done, giving the constructive feedback. But if something is like, well, it does need rejigging or redoing or restructuring because it's not great, it's quite hard to word that, like you said, without being it's, it's quite hard, especially in ELT, because that, there's another difference there with academia. So in academia, usually people come in expecting the feedback. So they really want you to improve what they've written because it's going to be published and their name is going to be attached to it and they want to make sure that it's as good as it can be. Of course, you cannot be extremely direct again because they are your clients and you want to keep them satisfied and coming back. But in ELT, writers are generally not open to the feedback because, of course, they're proud of their work. And it's difficult to tell someone, you know, your work is good, but it's not good enough yet. Yeah. But it's it's something that I think most writers get used to after a while. So, again, as, as long as you, you, you are honest without being cruel, I think... Uh, our writers will take on board what you have to say. And as long as what you say makes sense. Yeah. Because I, I, I have worked as an item writer as well, and I have received very constructive feedback that I took on board. And then I have received feedback that just was complete nonsense and you just ignore it. This kind of goes on to one of the listener questions that we had. Um, does every editor have their own preference of how they edit or is there a set way of doing it? So I think the person that, that sent me that question was referring to the fact that sometimes they write something and one editor might say, change it for XXX suggestion. And then another editor might just be like, amend this and not give any suggestions. So I know you said it depends on the publisher, depends on the project, but do you think that it's also down to the the personal way that someone edits as well? Yes, definitely. Um, Different editors will approach items in a different way. 
Um, and you have to remember that just like item writers are people, writers are people as well, and they will have their preferences. Um, that's why you might get conflicting feedback sometimes. And that's why it's good um, to get feedback from more than one person. And usually companies will have that structure already kind of like a, a peer review where you will have two or three people looking at something or even like a whole panel yeah. looking at mm -hmm. an item, especially items that have been flagged as kind of more problematic or needing a little bit more work. I think as a writer, it feels quite intimidating to think, oh, there'll be a group of people or my peers or people in-house at a publisher looking at my work. Like I'm working on something now and there's, I think there's three people editing it at a time together, discussing it. And the same with um, the item writing for English score as well. When we talk about peer reviews, I think the apprehension is there. But when you actually get down to it, it's, I personally prefer having a team of people looking at the work because, like you said, it comes from different perspectives and, um, yeah, it's perhaps less direct as well, I think. Not just that, but also when your items get approved, it's quite validating. And you need to remember, like, the, 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 the editor's goal is not to chastise you. It's to help you produce the best item that you could produce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, like, my goal is to make sure that it uh, meets the standards of the company in various ways. Um but in order to achieve that, I need to work with the actual item writer to to improve it. So it's it's not in my best interest to upset the writer. Yeah, definitely. And do you like working in like a team of editors? Does that happen often or? Um, not really. You uh, uh, most of my work has been in isolation, and it's only in the past uh, six months or so that with English Core that I've started working with more people around me. Um, and it's been the kind of interesting transition in that because I was so used to editing alone, it was kind of weird to have other people with different uh, points of view coming into the conversation. But it's also been quite illuminating to see how other people approach it. Um, so, yeah, w working in a team kind of improves your skills because you will take away things from others. Um, Perfect segue into my next question. What's your um, tips for developing yourself as an editor? Of course, you said working with other people and hearing different perspectives. Um, is there anything else that you'd suggest? Um, well, the first thing that I would suggest is when in doubt, Google. You will not believe the number of editors I've worked with through the years who just have learned, learned something when they were young. And because they're very good at what they do, they have a brilliant understanding of English as a language and the way it works, they will have uh, a, a mistake that they learned when they were young and they never questioned until it comes to a certain point where someone points it out and they're like, oh, I have no idea this was this way. Um, so I'll give you an example. There was a, an editor that I used to work with who said that the word state of the art, which is both a noun and an adjective, for her was only an adjective. Interesting. So every time she saw it somewhere, she would re rewrite the sentence to get rid of the noun. So she would always rewrite it until mm -hmm. we had that conversation. And I told mm -hmm. her, yeah, I, the first time I saw that, that, that word, it was an adjective for me as well. But then I saw it used as a noun. And I was mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, I'm going to Google that. Mm -hmm. And I found out, yes, it is a noun as well. It's just not hyphenated. Or there was another one who... Um, you know when you give a list and you say the list is as follows? Yeah. So he thought that as follows can be conjugated. So it could be as follows is 
if, uh, if you use a singular, so the list is as follows. Mm. But if you use a plural, for example, the example are, you have to say as follow, which, which, well, is, I've never heard that before. which is not correct. No, I was going to say, I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's, the examples are as follows. Mm. But it, I don't know where he learned that, but he was doing it for quite a while. And I happened to check on his work and I noticed that. And I was mm. like, yeah, why did you change that to us? as follow and he explained his logic and I was like yeah that's very solid logic but it's not correct I guess it's like I, I saw a video today literally on LinkedIn of um like even writers or teachers as well get words wrong all the time you spell words wrong I think definitely came up disappoint came up you know if you've learned something one way yeah nobody's perfect you know so it's really important to keep developing as an editor because you might have a situation like that where you're correcting what's actually correct you know? yeah another thing you need to keep in mind as an editor especially if you work internationally is that there are variations in the language especially a language like english which is quite international um so there might be certain things that work one way in the uk and another way in the u.s or another way in Australia, or any other English-speaking language, including languages where English is a second language, like India. Um, so, for example, towards in the UK, that in the US should be towards. So I have seen editors kind of coming from a UK perspective and just correcting it to towards, or other things kind of like um, when, when you're quoting something, do you put the full stop inside the quote or outside the quote? Uh, it depends on where you're from. Because yeah. in the UK, you only put it inside if it's part of the sentence. Otherwise, you put it outside. But in the US, you always put it inside. So where do you learn those things? You just Google them if you're... But then how would you know to Google them if you're coming from a UK perspective and say you were writing American English materials, you know? Um, well, if you come from the UK and you're asked to write or to edit US materials, you have to do your research on the difference between UK and US English. There's plenty of resources online. Um, you can also check US websites that explain grammar. And then from your own knowledge, you will see the differences there. But because, you know, like in ELT, very often we teach students what the difference is between UK and US English. There, there are plenty of websites that explain that. Yeah. So you'd say Google, Google, Google is tip number one. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you do? Do you, Have you personally read any books or do you watch webinars or do you feel like on the job is, is the best way to learn? Um, personally, I, I haven't watched any webinars. I have gone through training. So whenever there's a training opportunity, I, I, I take it. Um, and, yeah, personally, I just, I just learned from the job and from just rem- – making sure that you don't stagnate or like, you know, like when you you do the same job for a very long time and you kind of feel like you know everything. Yeah. You, you just have to fight against that kind of urge, especially in editing. And especially because things change all the time. It's, it's kind of hard because the editing world is very prescriptivist. Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm, um, I'm a descriptivist. So I'm, I, as long as you, as long as what you write makes sense, I'm happy with it. But in my job, I have to be very prescriptivist because that's what is expected. Yeah. Um, but what is correct changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true as well. Same as new words coming all the time and new yeah. words go out all the time. Mm-hmm. Or mistakes or things that were considered mistakes in the past become correct because they've been used so much. 
Yeah, so that happens all the time with every single language, not just English. Yeah. Um, and you have to kind of be aware of changes like that. Um, one thing that's been happening a lot recently in academia is using research as a plural. So mm-hmm. saying researches, which is still unconventional, mm-hmm. and I still correct it when I see it. But I recently read a book by Stephen King, and he actually used the word researches. And it kind of stayed with me like, oh, even Stephen King is using it now. <laughs> but in academia, it's still wrong. So I still have to yeah. correct it. But at some point, it's going to stop being wrong. So if these things are changing now, and I think they'll continue to evolve and change as language does, do you think there's anything else that you think will change in ELT editing, perhaps to the process or the way it's it's done? Or can you see anything like that? Um, honestly, the main trend that I've been seeing in editing in general is an attempt to move towards automatic editing using technology, which is nowhere near good enough at the moment, you know, there's, there's different websites that uh, promise to edit your materials to a high standard, but they're, they're not as good as a human eye at the moment. Yeah. But I think eventually I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> do, you think, do you think it could take over? Because when you've got things like, let's say, a speaking assessment or a writing assessment, something more fluid that's not just like a yes or no answer, do you think that could still be done by AI or do you think there would still need to be a human involved? Well, you're, you're talking about a different thing now because if uh, we're talking about speaking and writing, we're talking about assessing the test takers, but editing the materials oh. is a different subject. Yeah. But in terms of editing, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, mm. But maybe in the next... 50 to 60 years, we could see technology that can edit on the spot. I mean, if if you think about, I don't know, like watching YouTube videos and having the automatic transcription below, we wouldn't have thought that was possible 20 years ago. And here we are now. And it's improving all the time. Like, even just 10 years ago, this was quite inaccurate. But mm-hmm. nowadays, it picks up accents much better than it used to. The only thing I've seen like that is Grammarly, I think, which is heavily advertised, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. like, I've never personally used it, but I think that edits things like th- that you're typing on Word and things like that. I'm not sure. Or I, is it more advanced than that? I haven't used Grammarly mm. um, because I have seen other editors use it. Mm. And I think all those types of tools at the moment are good to help you out. but they're not enough on their own. Yeah. So if it works for you, that that that's good as an editor. If you want to use it as a kind of, um, you know, like training wheels on a bike, yeah. then you can do it. But a lot of companies advise against using those because they will have their own guidelines and mm. it's impossible to impose all those guidelines on online tools. Mm. That's really interesting. I've never really thought about AI editing because because like you said I was thinking about it from marking test takers which is completely different so I mean it's not ready yet if you if you if you've used MS Word you know it's not ready mm. um, because it doesn't pick up nuances at the moment yeah but I think it will get better at it as time goes on yeah of course mm-hmm. so I've got a couple of listener questions. Um, First one is, what skills and experience should I have in order to be hired as an editor for assessments? Um, well, first of all, impeccable grammar. 
mm-hmm. is a it's a must. You have to have a keen eye for detail. And I know I sound like a, a job advert at the moment, but <laughs> <laughs> that's usually what they expect. Um, so you should be able to look at a text, concentrate on it, and spot any small typos and any inconsistencies. But if you if you're asking what skills you should have in order to be hired, I think first you should have some experience in writing, and there are other types of editing services where, which are easier to break into. Mm. Um, so in academia, I I know of a few people who just started editing as a supplement while they were studying at uni. Yeah, and that's how they kind of went into the job. So there are some companies that will hire you even if you don't have much experience. If you have experience in writing, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that your your degree is in communications, and it's not specifically well, it, it is language based, I guess, to an extent. But it's good to know that you can have a degree and not necessarily have it related to editing, but you could still work in editing as a possibility as well. So. Um, in a lot, in, again, in, this is in academia, but in a lot of places, especially if you have a kind of STEM degree, they might want you to edit text in that specific discipline. So if you have a, a master's or a PhD in science, or mm. in, let's say in biology, they might, they might be looking for someone who can edit biology papers, and then you go into editing through that, and mm-hmm. from there you can jump into ELT editing but you need to have a kind an understanding of what ELT is and how it works and how it's different from general editing. So some teaching experience is always good. Definitely. And the other question we have is, if I have experience of editing ELT materials, but not, we kind of sort of touched on this earlier, but not specifically assessments, do you think it's still likely I'll get hired as a freelancer? Or do you think it's essential to have experience in that particular area? So I guess like writing, you said you think you'd have to have written assessments in order to be able to edit them successfully? I don't think so. If you have experience in ELT, um, I don't think anyone's going to make that distinction mm-hmm. because what they're looking for is an understanding of ELT. And if you have worked in ELT, you know what an assessment is. You know what the difference are, differences are between um, an IELTS text and a generic B1 text in a course book. So if yeah. you have experience in editing NLT, I think it's going to be quite easy to move into assessments. Having said that, I started straight away with assessments. So I didn't even have experience in writing assessments and I had that opportunity. So I think a lot of it is also luck. And when you get hired for, for a job, do, because writers often have to do a sample, does it work the same for editors or not? Usually, yeah. So um, most jobs... The, the 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 editing the the editing test is more important than the actual interview okay so what sort of thing might that involve um again it depends on what you're going to be editing so if you're editing assessments they would send you something a reading text and they would give you some brief guidelines and ask you to just edit those based on the guidelines that you have so they might tell you remove all the Oxford commas from the text and uh, make sure that there are no run-on sentences. Um, don't allow sentences that start with end or but. So you have to look out for those in the test, and then that will be um, th- that will be used to determine whether you have the skills or not. Would they ever just give you a document and not tell you what they want you to do? They'd just be like, edit this, and then sort of see what you come up with? They might in 
certain jobs, but I, I mean, I've seen both, but most of the time they will give you some guidelines just to see how good you are at following instructions. Because as I said, there are dozens of different style guides out there and mm. some people will be familiar with one style guide, others will be familiar with another. Um, and they just want to see that you will be able to adjust your editing to their specific style. That's true. And what's next for you? What are you doing at the moment? Have you got anything exciting coming up? Are you looking for work? Or um, I'm working at English Core with you. <laughs> um, but I'm, I am always open for editing work if anyone wants to get in touch, especially in ELT. Um, not so much writing because I don't have the time for it anymore. Mm. But I'm always open to editing work. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Um, I've learned a lot um, about editing and the process and and the skills that I'd need to learn if I wanted to become an editor as well. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Thank you for inviting me. Bye-bye. So thanks so much for listening today. I hope you learned as much as I did about editing assessments. If you'd like any of the links that we mentioned in the episode, we'll be sharing these on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook at ELTCPD, so do be sure to follow us on your social media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, feel free to send us an email, info at eltcpd.com, with your feedback or your suggestions for an episode if you'd like to come on as a guest. Thanks again for listening. Bye.